Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. So it's always a little difficult with, um, in uh, little town churches like this, half the congregation is at the fair, running the fair, making the fair happen. <laughs> and so uh, just do something for me. How many people were here last week? Just so I know. Oh, okay, more than I was thinking. It looked to me like it was a big, like almost a total flip over. So that's good. So many of you heard last week's. Um, do we know the answer yet? You still working on it? I'm having her find out if last week's is up on our podcast yet. Because <laughs> someone with a smartphone, let us know. I've never done this before, but this morning is going to be kind of a part two of last week. Now, if you weren't here last week, don't worry. We, I never do this so that you had to hear last week's or you're going to be totally lost. That's not what we're going to do. But I am going to suggest that you go, if you weren't here last week, Go to the pot. It's not up. Okay, when we get it up, go listen to it because it'll just make what we're going to do this morning richer for sure. In fact, we're looking at the same passage again. Um, God, he just wouldn't release me on it. So we're looking at the, the same passage. Who remembers? So since so many of you were here, what was the main point? I had you saying it before we were done. Yes, abiding is authority and authority is abiding. That's the culture of his kingdom. And we're in a whole series on the culture of his kingdom. We either honor, so that, right, so the, so the king always sets the culture of the kingdom, right? Always. No one else gets to decide what the culture in a kingdom is going to be besides that, besides the king. And we have the best king. And he has set a culture that, that is specifically designed to bless you, right? Because he loves you like that so that's what we're talking about are we in his culture or are we in some other culture yeah did I say something else are, oh yeah are, are, we're in his culture or some other culture right we can have the world's culture we can have some culture that that does not very effectively release the power and authority of of Jesus's throne on your behalf or you can be in his culture and be in the flow of authority his kingdom of authority and and have everything that he's planned for you is that right okay so um, go ahead and start turning with me to John chapter 8 it's the same um, at least one of the passages that we looked at mainly last week and we're going to go to verse 28 John 8 verse 28 Actually, while you're turning there, let's just pray. Father, I just ask that these be your words, that you work in our hearts. We want your presence to release what you want to do in our hearts. We ask that your kingdom would be manifest in us so that we are a body of your kingdom culture and that your power and authority is released for your will in this community, in our families, in our places, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I almost started in without doing that. That could be disastrous. And I thought and all of a sudden I'd just start talking, right? Okay, so here in John 8, the, the context here, Jesus is talking um, 
and he is beginning to predict his death in this passage and he's talking about his culture of authority okay so we'll just start in here in verse 28 it says then Jesus said to them when you lift up the son of man what's that when you when you crucify me when you kill me okay then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself but as my father taught me, I speak these things. Now remember, we spent a lot of time on that. That's a pattern for you. That's exactly how, that's the culture that he wants you to have, to know, to understand. So what did that just say? That just says, as my father taught me. That's a past tense thing. And what's he saying? I abide, right? I abide. So he has a life of abiding, a life of oneness with his father's mind. And as his father taught him, what? automatically so I speak these things then he goes out as one with authority and he just speaks you don't read these scriptures you don't often see Jesus interacting with people as he goes through his ministry and kind of having prayers like oh Lord Justin we just hope and and couldn't you if there was any mercy left in heaven could you do this he has a life of abiding and then he goes out and speaks he says, be healed, be free, and they're healed, they're free. Be empowered, they're empowered, right? He speaks as one with authority, and he means that for you. Okay, he goes on and says, and he who sent me is with me. There's abiding, right? Abiding is authority, and authority is abiding. We're going to take that one more step this morning. Then the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. How's he do that? Abiding, right? He knows the mind of his Father, and so he abides. Now I want to show you what happens just next. We didn't so much focus here last week, but what he does just next is he invites you into exactly what he was just talking about. Okay? Look at someone and say, now he's inviting me. Okay, here it is. Here's the invitation. In verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now listen to this. You just got a definition for disciple. What is a disciple? He just said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. There's abiding. Okay? And he goes on and says, And you shall know the truth... And the truth shall make you free. Now we're going to break that out. That is so loaded. If you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Now remember, he's the person of truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what's he really saying? If you know me, if you abide, I make you free. Right? You've got to hold that. That's going to be critical as we move forward. If you know the truth, oh, and so if you abide, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In verse 33, this is, this is how they answer him. Now, you've got to gather these words because this is really going to lead us into what I believe God really wants you to have today. This is how they respond. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. I heard chuckles. That's very appropriate. How can you say we'll be made free? That's what they say to Jesus. 
Now look at this. Let's just um, talk about this for a minute. If you know anything about their historical political circumstances, um, they are anything but free. Okay? They're, so even if they're thinking, even if when they say that, they are thinking from a worldly mindset, they're under the occupation of Rome. They, they, have, they, they do what Rome allows them to do. They're not free. Now if you think from a historical religious perspective, they've really never been less free in that regard than at this time. Um, they, they have just recently, at least in the scope of history, they've started practicing the, the rabbinical law, legalistic way of practicing their faith or their religion. Actually, how, how many was like a couple hundred years or do you know how long have they been doing it when Jesus, when did that rise? You were telling me the other day. Um, when the rabbinical system started, 100, 150 years only. So it's really brand new, the steeping of laws and the way we please God and is, is by doing everything right and following all these regulations. The opposite of freedom is how for just only 150 years and then Jesus comes on the scene. It's brand new for them to be practicing their faith this way in, in, in an utter absence of freedom as opposed to freedom. And what do they say? They say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Now, I'm going to put something out there, and then we're going to move on in the passage here, but I'm just going to put something out there. I believe God's shown me this. The more religious experience, <laughs> religious, I didn't say genuine intimate relationship with Jesus. I said, the more religious experience we get, the harder I think it is to grow into that next glory that God's planned for you. I'm going to tell you, this attitude that we're hearing in this passage, I'm completely convinced that every single one of us has a bit of it in us. Okay, God is ever setting us free. We are ever growing into intimacy and relationship with him as he plans for us. But we have a little of this. And the more, I'm convinced, the more we actually grow into him, the harder it is to continue to believe that he has something for us to grow into that next glory. Does anybody know the truth of what I'm saying? So what are they saying? What freedom do you have to offer me? I'm already free. Now I want you to see, look how Jesus responds. Jesus answers and says to them, he begins talking about abiding. So that shouldn't surprise us. He begins to say, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. Now look, we get that backwards. We think of that exactly in reverse of what Jesus just said. We think what he just said is that if you commit sin, then therefore um, it, it makes you a slave. And what, what he is saying is that you're already a slave and so therefore you commit sin. Does that make sense? It's fruit. Sin, this sin is the, is the fruit of where they abide. Do you know you abide somewhere? Last week we talked about Jesus laid it out in another passage very clearly. You, there's two places. You abide in me or you abide in darkness. 
It's that clear, okay? But now here's the good news. He goes on and says, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son, in other words, if Jesus makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What's it mean, a son abides forever? In other words, you belong to the house. You see, a, son, a slave is in the house. You understand that? And, and a slave is subject to the rules, to the culture, to the ways of the house. You're subject to that in a bondage sort of way. But, but when it's said and done, when a slave ceases to be useful or, or ceases to further the purposes of something, then, then you're out. You're tossed out. Right? A son abides forever. A son actually belongs to the house. Does that make sense? There's no expiration date on being a son. Okay, we had to do that part. And it says, Jesus makes you free and you shall be free indeed. Now, this is, was put on my heart so very strongly. We're going to talk about freedom for a minute because I'm going to tell you this passage is really fairly meaningless unless you're looking at freedom accurately. Because there, there really is two ways to understand freedom. There's kind of the general normal way, like look up in the Webster Dictionary, what is freedom? Okay, I should have done that, but I didn't put it in here. And, you know, we generally think that freedom is the absence of bondage, right? So like if you're in a cage and we take the cage away, you're free, right? That's the general thinking of freedom. But I'm going to tell you that's not the biblical understanding of what freedom is you see because look if you're in a cage and and I or Jesus takes the cage away and you stay there you're still there right in fact we even see it in in world history even in this nation when we had slavery and there was the abolition of slavery they've stayed they continued to work in the same places they didn't move didn't even move off how could they? Why would they? What would they do in its place? For, for a long time in our nation's history, nothing changed for the slaves, even though slavery, the bondage had been removed. But were they free? Not much had changed. It had begun a progression of change. I want to tell you that biblical freedom is, works in the same way. Okay, and we're going to go through, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to show you in God's word what biblical freedom is. Okay, so we know what it's not. It's not just the absence of bondage. So what is it? Go with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You can keep your finger in John there. We're going to go back and finish that story. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17 now, we've looked at this verse. Um, it's been a big verse for us this year. We've looked at it a lot. We're going to do it again. It says, now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, which directly translates, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, it's going to define for us biblical freedom, what, what God means when he speaks freedom over you. So it goes on and says, but we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what's freedom? Freedom is not the absence of bondage, the absence of slavery. Freedom is the power and authority to be who he's making you into. 
That's freedom. You see, he didn't just, he didn't just uh, free them in Egypt and then leave them where they're at. Freedom, the way, the way God speaks freedom over you is like you're, you're his chosen people, right? Who's his chosen people? Okay, he speaks it over you just like he did over his people. When he released them from, from Egypt, when he freed them from slavery, freedom was bringing them into being the dominion holders in the promised land, right? That's freedom. Freedom is the power, is the God-given from the throne room of heaven, is the God-given power and authority to be yourself. You know, he made you with good plans because he's that crazy nuts in love with you. He made you specifically for plans that are his kingdom will. Do you get that? You, you understand, he made Adam and Eve, he put them in a garden and said, um, have dominion. And then they broke the chain of authority and that was destroyed. Ever since, he's been in a process of coming to the age that you live in right now where he wants to restore his power and authority to do the will of heaven again. So that's freedom. So we got it now. That's freedom. It's not the absence of bondage. It's the ability to be who God made you to be. It's the power and authority to carry the glory of God and exercise his dominion, his power and authority in this place. So, so he, how does he tell us to pray? That his will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven, right? Do you think of yourself as the one who, who executes that will as an ambassador on behalf of him? This is how. Abide. Abide. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom for what? To be the dominion holder. To have the power and authority of the throne room of heaven. Now I've got to put this out. We're going to move on in the passage, I promise. But... You understand that, um, what did he say? He said, if you abide, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? Now, we, we had just, we've got to get this out of the way. You understand that knowing in your mind, knowing facts is not freedom. Knowing the right spiritual truths does not empower you to be free. Do you know that? You can, you can study in the halls of theological academia and, and you can know all the right things and have absolutely no power and authority to be what God made you to be, right? What is freedom? You see, freedom is an abiding word. Knowledge, we're going to look at this in a minute. Knowledge is an abiding word. Freedom is not knowing facts or knowing the right spiritual truths. It's moving from a place that is out of Jesus into Jesus. Freedom is abiding, is authority. That was a good point. Somebody's got to say amen or something at that point. Freedom, did you hear that? Freedom is moving from a place that is out of Jesus to abiding in him. The scriptures are very clear that that is freedom. Being in him is what releases the authority. His authority that we talked about last week is released in your life because you're in him. Abiding is authority. That's freedom. 
Okay, I had to do it again. I could tell you're just a little too quiet when I said it the first time. (laughs) What does he say? Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, I'm going to repeat this, verse 31, if you abide in my word, hear everything I was just saying, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So what's freedom? Being in him. That's freedom. That's abiding. That releases the authority of God. In John 14, 6, he says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when he says the truth will set you free, what's he saying? I will set you free. When you abide in me, you're my disciples indeed, and so therefore, just by virtue of where you abide, you're free. Free for what? To have the power and authority from the throne room to be yourself, to be what he made you to be. He knew every one of your days before you lived the first one. I don't know where that is right now, but I know it's true. Freedom is the ability to live out your identity from within him. Did you know that? See, I want to show you one more thing before we move on. You know the word know, so you will know the truth. Both in the, in the Hebrew and the Greek, know is, is an intimacy word. I know many of you know this, but I want to show you how intimate the word is. In Genesis 4 and chapter 1, it's actually talking about Adam and Eve. And it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. That's the word. He knew her. In other words, what? He knew her with a kind of intimacy. We're, get, we're getting a pattern for fruitfulness here, okay? For the, the power and authority to execute the will of heaven. You know he wants to do that through you. We see that pattern in Adam and Eve right here. How, how did he have, how did they have the power and authority to execute heaven's will? They knew each other and God, in an intimate knowing. There's abiding there, right? You know, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, God's chosen perhaps as his most powerful metaphor for him with his church is marriage. Why did he do that? It's because intimate intimate knowing, abiding, is his plan for the chain of authority in the culture of his kingdom. It releases the fruitfulness of, of his kingdom. And you understand it's only in his will. Right? So Adam knew Eve and and she conceived and they bore a son. You understand that was God's plan, right? What dom- he said I give you dominion, what dominion did he give them? To be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, right? So they are executing exactly the will of God, and this is how, in a type of knowing, an intimate abiding that releases the authority to execute his plan. Do you want to be someone who executes his plan? Okay, we're going to remove some barriers to that this morning. Do you want to remove some barriers to that? Okay, do you believe you have some barriers? (laughs) okay otherwise you're like the people we're reading about in this story right where you're like oh I've already been set free what kind of freedom do you have for me that I need you can never learn enough or know enough or be practiced enough in your spiritual gifts to cease to need abiding 
In fact, look at Jesus. Did Jesus ever, Jesus himself, did he ever get to a point in his ministry where he's like, oh, okay, I got it now. I don't, I don't I'm, I'm good, Dad, and, and Holy Spirit, I can go off on my own now. He never stopped abiding. Even, even Jesus, the creator of all things in whom all things exist, found his source of authority as he walked this earth in abiding in being one with his Father's mind and being empowered by the Spirit, completely immersed and filled with the Spirit upon him. That's how he did it. Okay, let's go back to the passage. Go back to verse 37, John 8. I want you to see um, Jesus' response to them when they say, um, You've got freedom for me? We've never, we don't even have, we've never even had any bondage. <laughs> That's their attitude, right? And Jesus says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. What's he saying? I'm fully aware of the qualifications you bring. <laughs> Thank you for making that known. completely aware of the you know you see we get in this mode I just got to put this out there we get in this mode and it's so easy I I do this um, where we think God wants our best right I'm going to bring you my best I have some qualifications for you and I've been working very hard in this ministry and we think that what he wants is our best and he actually wants the very worst of you he finds your best very uninteresting when they say, we're Abraham's descendants, we've never had any bondage. He's like, wow, I find that uninteresting. <laughs> He's like, do you know who made you Abraham's descendants? I did. I already knew that. Right? I, I am completely aware of your qualifications. And he goes on and says, now listen to this. This is so critical. He says, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Did you hear those words? No place in you why do they seek to kill him i want to tell you there's a part of every one of us that, that there's a, there's a certain pride there's that sin nature that that you hear paul battle with is in in the letters that he wrote in the scriptures and and we battle with it there's that part of us that actually wants to kill him that's you can't you know you don't i don't want you to touch this part let me bring my best for you let me bring you some of my qualifications. And what he's really interested in, the part that we tend to wall off, is the broken place, the wounded place, the place that actually has enough demolition going on in that place that he could actually build something there. That the, the very place that he wants to put his name on it. He wants to put his authority on your most wounded place. And that's the release of his authority. That's what we're reading on your most broken place, the place of your life that is, that is coming from deep within you that is the most dysfunctional. There are many, many scriptures in here that talk about um, his ear is ever attentive for the cry of the oppressed and he'll come quickly. You see, bring him your qualifications and he's very uninterested. Cry from a place of oppression where you need bondage broken and he'll rush into it. 
and put his name on it and grant the power and authority to be who you actually are. Does that make sense? He made you. He knows exactly who you're supposed to be. Even though you don't know yourself, the deep places. David says, search me. Why does David say search me? Because David's gotten to a place when he writes that psalm where, where he's, he's reached a recognition where he doesn't even know the places he needs God to go into, the broken, wounded places, the, the desolate places that need the living water, the Spirit of God to fill and make him into who he is. He says, I don't even know myself, those deep places in my well. You search me. And God is ever eager. He will rush to the broken place, the wounded place. He's very disinterested in our qualifications. You see, why does he say that his word has no place in them? What does he say? He says, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Now, is it, is it true Literally, when he says these words, is there no place in them that needs healing, freedom from bondage, empowerment with truth? It's obviously not true, right? They have <laughs> their response actually shows us that it's the opposite of the truth, right? So what's true? Why does he say that? Why is there no place in them? See, it's they've not yielded that place. There's no openness. That what he has. It may make you think of the, um, uh, I think it was maybe three weeks ago, um, we were teaching on Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you all remember that, some of you? And what does he say? If you knew who I am and the living water that I could give you in your broken, wounded, in bondage places, you'd ask me for it and I'd give it to you. Right? If you knew, there are other places in the word of God that say, um, you do not have because you do not ask, right? Say that again. You or you, you ask amiss, that's what comes next. You ask amiss, right? You're asking, probably you're asking on the basis of your qualifications. You're asking for things that are outside of the culture of God, that are not the way the mind of God thinks, Right? Do you, do you understand that your most broken place, your most wounded place is the place is exactly, not sort of around that region or, or almost, but exactly the place that he wants to make the strongest, most powerful place for the kingdom of God in you? You read it all through the story. I mean, you read from, from Genesis to the end of this book. The most broken place is the place he means to put under his name the place that will become most in the chain of authority to release the power and authority that he means for you to have in your life. Or you have the mentality we're reading with the people he's visiting with here where you're like, oh, Jesus has already healed me. I've been set free from some bondages. I don't really need anything else you have. And we wonder why we, why we go into these seasons where we become somewhat powerless, somewhat lacking authority. Jesus was our example. He would abide, and then he would go out and speak. 
He would say, be healed, have inner healing, be free, demon be out of them, oppression be broken. And it was. You do know that he intends for you to be like, he said greater things than than I do, you will do. That's his promise over his sending for you. Are you aware of that? Does it plague you when your life doesn't look that way? All right, I won't do that to you. (laughs) It does me. You know, I love, we're having a baptism coming up, right? And I love being around new Christians. You know why? Because it's like, it's like as you walk with people that are, that are just um, coming into a sweet season with Jesus, you just watch their life and, and you can just see Jesus going, going, be free, be healed, freedom, 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 freedom. <laughs> and their life is just going like that, right? And then you can be around Christians who've been Christian for a long time and they're mature, And there's not much going on. I can look at my own life and I can see seasons like that. Now, I've heard people describe this as a honeymoon phase. And I used to kind of believe that myself, but I had to give it up. I don't think that's true. God's heart never changes over us, does it? He never withholds. It tells us very clearly no spiritual blessing is withheld. He is not one who withholds in his love relationships. We withhold. So you know what it is? A new Christian is, is seeing, it's not a change in God, it's a change in our heart. They, they are seeing the breakthrough of freedom. They're seeing their life change and there's miracle, miracle, miracle. I'm gonna do this for you. I'm gonna open this door. I'm gonna part the river for you. And everything. <laughs> and, it, and it's like that because of where their heart is at. And then suddenly, you know, I believe we grow into a place in our walk, in our development with him, where we have the attitude we're reading about here, where we start to think, you've already made me free. I don't have anything else to heal from. There's no more oppression or bondages that I need you to to come in and break and fill with your living water and release power and authority from within me so that I flow out. I don't need, you know, I'm good. I've been a Christian for 15 years. What else could Jesus possibly free? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, there's one. (laughs) Let's start there. Okay. Go with me to John 15. Now, you're going to be very tempted um, as we begin into this to think that we're changing the subject. So look at the person in next to you and say, we're not changing the subject. <laughs> we're still talking about the same thing, in fact, that we started talking about last Sunday. Okay? This is not a subject change. This is, you know this passage. This is um, Jesus using the metaphor of the vine. And the branches, okay? And here in verse 1, John 15, 1, Jesus is speaking of himself, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now look at, that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? It is harsh, it's because it's a holy God. Look, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But what do we know already from scriptures that we've been reading this morning about one who's not bearing fruit. It's not in the definition of disciple, (laughs) right? 
It says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. We know that he says his word does not return void. In other words, if you're a disciple, you're a fruit bearer. Not because you're good or you brought a qualification, but because it's the fruit of abiding. He promises if you abide, there's fruit. So if you're a branch not bearing fruit, he takes it away. Now go with me. He goes on and says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. What's he do with it? He prunes it. Why? That it may bear more fruit. Does that make you think of the scripture we read earlier? His plan for you is to bring you from glory to glory. Freedom. Abundant life. He came that you'd have abundant life, that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. Right? Glory to glory to glory. He is ever increasing and releasing more and more power and authority to be yourself, to be what he created you to be because he loves you like that. That's what we're reading here. So what does he do? This is everything we've been talking about. He prunes. In other words, he's ever wanting to, to have places for his word to land. Is that your best? Your best places? He's ever looking for places for you to, to invite him in, to search for it, to yield yet one more place that is not like him. And he's going to prune. That's pruning. He's going to pour living water in every broken place that you offer him. And he will make it into a place that is the place of his name, the place of power and authority. Amen? Okay. He goes on, verse 3, goes on and says, You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken over you. Why are you clean? Because he's spoken a word over you. <laughs> and he's one who has authority. He speaks, he says you're clean, that's why you're clean. He says you're clean. He speaks that word over you. It's not because of your best. It's not because you've done something well or you've conquered some besetting sin. You're clean because he says you're clean. And then he goes and says, abide in me. Now listen to this. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What releases the power and authority to produce fruit? Abiding. That's it. Abiding. And it's a promise. You're gonna, I don't know if I've read it yet. We're going to read it. I'm just going to put it out there now. It's a promise. He says, abide and you're my disciples and you produce fruit. Automatic. He doesn't say, abide and if you're skillful enough and you work hard enough, and you follow a religious regime, you know, you do your 15-minute devotional this morning and all these other things you can add up, then there could be some fruit. He says, abide and there's fruit. The freedom to have the power and authority to produce fruit. That's his plan for you. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Here it is. He who abides in me and I in him 
bears much fruit. It doesn't get any easier than that. It doesn't get any clearer than that. What's the requirement to bear fruit? Abide in him. What's the other requirement? Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> There's no other requirement. It's an intimate relationship of abiding, and he just promises, he says, there's fruit. Amen. <laughs> Period. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gathered them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now let's talk about that one. I know you know that verse. Why is it prerequisite that you abide in him to have the effectiveness in prayer like this that you just read? So you realize power and authority from the throne room of God through you is for the accomplishment of his will, right? It's for the accomplishment of, the, of his purposes in his kingdom, right? So abiding, it is in intimate relationship just as Jesus did with his father. It is in intimate relationship that you gain the mind of God. See, other places say that he will put his desires into you. And of course, if you were praying his desires, it'll be answered. You see, that's someone who walks around and, and says, be healed, be free. Oppression is broken over you now in the name of Jesus. It's that kind of authority. See, when you know the mind, that's why abiding is prerequisite. That's why power and authority is abiding. Abiding is authority and authority is abiding. And freedom is a person, not the absence of something. Freedom is not the absence of bondage. Freedom is being in a person whose name is Jesus. Abiding. And he goes and says, by this my Father is glorified. What glorifies his Father? that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You see the definition again? So look, we can guilt trip people. I've, I've, lived, I've gone through seasons of my wife where I'm like, why is, why is it so fruitless? <laughs> why is there such a lacking of, of power and authority for anything of the kingdom of God in my life right now? It feels like it's, I've gone through long seasons that way. And you can, you can uh, be in a season where you, um, you it's painful, <laughs> what seems like the absence of authority, and, and be beat up over it. Like, what's going on? It seems like everything I touch falls apart instead of comes under the dominion of Jesus' name. What's going on here? And the truth is, it, it comes to this. Jesus cannot be more clear. It's abiding. It's not something you work harder, pray harder, study your scriptures more. It's an intimate relationship of abiding that places everything in the chain of authority, that releases the power and authority of his kingdom of authority. 
That was an exci- that was exciting. Come on. That was way too quiet in here. <laughs> and we'll just kind of wrap with this and move towards the um, having the Lord's Supper this morning. But verse 9 says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, I abide in his love. Now, we also get that backwards. We've got to say this. We think in order, we, we read that like, in order to remain in his love, I keep his commandments. And it's the opposite of what it's saying. It's saying, when you abide in me, you automatically are keeping my commandments. The, the, you can't do it by your own power anyway. When you're abiding in him, you're filled with the spirit who makes living water flow through you, who, who fills you with life instead of death, light instead of darkness, and you are automatically a fulfiller of his commandments. Yeah. Does it make sense? That's so critical. To understand that. A person can spend their entire life listening to the voice of the enemy, beating yourself up in a religious legalism where, where, where you read scriptures like that and you think God has some idea that you're good enough to fulfill his commandments. And God's not confused. We are. Okay? <laughs> Fulfilling his commandments is the fruit of abiding of being filled with the Spirit as we abide. Okay. We're still not changing the subject. Look at somebody and say we're not changing the subject. <laughs> Go with me to Luke 22, and we're just, this is, um, this is when Jesus um, had the Passover meal with his disciples and we're going to look at the fact that everything we just talked about is at his table Luke 22 and verse 14 okay here's here's how it begins it says when the hour had come he sat down and the 12 apostles with him then he said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Does he desire you to come to the table? Fervently. I should have looked that up. <laughs> Fervently. He says, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, is he going to eat it with you this morning? Okay, it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God then. Now, I want you to notice, do you notice he's already talking about the establishment, the initiation of a changing of the guard. He's already talking about a new kingdom with the cup during the meal. Do you see that? Actually, we're not even at the cup. He's saying until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, look, he goes on by taking the cup. In verse 17, then he took the cup and he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now we're leading somewhere. So go with what's he talking about? The kingdom of God, the initiation of a new way for the authority and power, a, new, a deeper reality of the authority and power coming in his kingdom. You see that? He goes on. 
Verse 19, and he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. In other words, his body was broke so that you could be whole. Okay? Now keep going with me. Verse 20, likewise he also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. Can you hear what he's doing? The entire table conversation is the initiation, a change in the chain of authority and power and how this is going to work with you. It's a new covenant that is going to be my presence among you. Now listen, a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Who's it shed for? But behold... The hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he's betrayed. Now listen, this is what I want you to notice because we're going to go just next and this is going to take us somewhere very powerful. You notice he talks about the initiation of this new kingdom, this new covenant, a changing of the guard, okay? And the very next thing he does is mention that there's a betrayer at the table. So hold that. Now look what they say. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. That's natural, right? Start going, who's going to do that? You're looking around the table. Can you feel the atmosphere? And then verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Now listen, I used to look at this and I used to think, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I mean, here he's talking about the initiation of a kingdom and, and they're having this Passover. He's doing it in this new way. They've done this for thousands of years and he's doing it in a new way now. And the only thing they can think of to talk about at the conclusion of this meal is who's the greatest. But then I got a revelation on this. Do you know... It's actually, uh, I'm going to propose, it's, um, it is the most natural thing for them to do next. Why? Look at what we just read. He's talking about the, chain, the changing of things. He's talking about a new covenant. He's talking about changes in the authority and power of his people and how that new covenant is going to work. And the next thing he does is bring up that this is not going to be the same for all of you. There's a betrayer at the table. Can you feel the electricity in that atmosphere? Of course, they would talk about this next. That's the subject, of, that's the subject at the table. Do you see that? In other words, I'm going to suggest it's somewhat appropriate. What are they really asking? They're saying, what's my role going to be? How does this change in, a th in power and authority affect me? What are you saying about me? I would suggest we actually lack that in our culture these days. We have, it's very, very easy to diminish the throne of Jesus. It's very, very easy to, to diminish his love 
for you and what he speaks over you, his plans for you. It's, it's harder to believe what Jesus' words actually say than it is to approach his table and his kingdom with a more or less powerless theology, with a diminished love over what he really wants for you. Does that make sense? Okay, the worship team, you, if you want to come on up, um, And verse 28, um, I've skipped a little. In verse 28, he goes on and says, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom. He speaks that over you today. He bestows on you a kingdom. Just as his father bestowed one upon him, and he says that you may eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now listen. He bestows a kingdom on you, and he invites you to eat and drink in his kingdom. What's he really saying? He invites you to be covered in his blood. He invites you to partake in the broken body that makes you whole. In other words, he's inviting you to open your broken, wounded places, to give him a place for his word to land. He wants more than anything to abide in a place that he doesn't currently abide. He wants more than anything to bring into submission the power of his name over your most broken place, over your most wounded place, over the place where, where tormenting evil still likes to play around with it. And he wants to put the authority of his name and make it the most powerful place in you for his kingdom. Do you believe that? Okay.